You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to On the Bench. This is Brendan Sinone, and I have a confession, guys. I am jacked up on caffeine right now i'm back let's on the coffee tree today. let's do it it's schedule day it's press conference day can you smell it in the air fellas it smells like mm. football. It smells like football season we're back to I'm work kind of i'm here for it goodbye evergreen content when <laughs> chris is chris is the bane of his existence is evergreen content which for people that are aware it's just content that you can write it's a top 10 list of florida state's all-time players so you can write any time of year you ain't about that life nope Mm-mm, mm-mm. But what you are about is in-depth, tedious schedule breakdowns, weighing the good and the bad and the ugly. Did FSU get hosed? Did they not? Initial thoughts, fellas, uh, as the ACC released its schedule today with actual like dates. One tidbit here, Samford is in the fold for Florida State. They'll play them the second week of the season, so that's your 11th game. That's your out-of-conference schedule. It's a, it's a cupcake and, uh, and I'll say this about the, before we go into schedule breakdowns, football is like pizza. It's like sex. It's no such thing as bad pizza or bad sex and, and bad football. Like, we'll take it. We weren't sure if there was going to be a season. We're still not entirely sure. So uh, I don't want to come off as we're complaining about the schedule, if we're being positive or negative, whatever. But, you know, we're just, we're just happy to be here. Yeah, I find it to be a mixed bag. I mean, I, I think they got lucky. The opener with Georgia Tech at home followed by Sanford. That's as warm up as warm up can get for them in the season, other than maybe like, you know, a Duke at the start of the year, but that would have been a road game. Uh, they do go to Miami for that third game, obviously a challenge. Then an open date, travel to Notre Dame, host North Carolina, travel to Louisville, open date to close out October. Then they have a final month of five straight games from November 7th to December 5th. Pitt at home at NC State, Clemson at home, Virginia at home at Duke. And then the ACC championship will either be the 12th or the 19th. So I think for what they knew they were going to play, what we knew from the five and five that was re- released about a week ago now, and the fact that we expected Sanford to be a part of it, it set up a, about as well as you can hope. The biggest gripe, to quote Mark Packer from Packer and Durham, FSU is going to face four of those teams, including, I would argue, two to three of their best opponents on the year, coming off of open weeks for their opponents. Uh, Notre Dame and Pitt are two of those, which FSU also comes off an open week for, but Clemson and Virginia are the other two. I realize I didn't introduce you guys. That's Chris Nee. I'm about to throw this question to Josh Newberg. I told you I'm like jittery. I'm fired up right now. Mm-hmm. Newberg, what, what's the game on the schedule that makes you go, oh, that's makes you scratch your chin? Be like, that's interesting. I'm intrigued by this. I'm intrigued by the date. I'm intrigued by the location. I'm intrigued by its very existence. Um, put it this way. I like the fact, well, the one thing that intrigues me is the, the ACC football championship game is the December 12th or the 19th. How am I supposed to book my flight right now? You're, what, what game? Okay. How am I supposed to book my flight right now? There's a lot of things to unwrap. I don't here. know if it's the 12th or the 19th. I mean, looking at this schedule, come on. Split the difference. Flights. Book it for December 16th. Just split the difference. When was the last time <laughs> that Josh covered? either be a little later or a little early. Chris, when was the last time that Josh covered a game on the road for Florida State? Never. Oh, okay. hell, has he ever done it? And so now he's going to go fly mm-hmm. to North Carolina in the midst of a pandemic. 
Hey man, our dude was writing basketball content last month. It's a whole new year. 2020 is some weird shit. I take it back. I covered one road game um, in Tampa, USF versus FSU. I went as a uh, as a media member. I've gone to road games, but not as a media member since you know Noel's. Does that count but, as a road game when it's like 20 minutes from your house? Anyway, no. to, to, to answer the question, Josh dodged. It's at Miami, third game of the season. I'm presuming yeah. FSU starts 2-0, but if they can beat Miami going into a bye week before they travel to Notre Dame, it's going to be about as good as this fan base has felt in a real long time. And obviously, it's going to be an injection of good feelings for Mike Norvell and his staff and this team. And we've talked in past years about how this team would kind of take a deep dive off a high board into a shallow pool when they lost a couple games early on and not bounce back from it. I think that could have the opposite effect where it injects some goodwill and some good feelings among the bunch if they are able to go down to Miami and beat the Canes. A little trivia question for you guys. When was the last time Florida State started off the season 1-0? and Four years ago? 2016? Yeah. Yeah. When was the last time they started off 1-0 and in the conference? Oh. 14? 15, 15, Boston 15, okay. College, 14 to nothing behind Everett Golson. So point in case, like momentum, kind of a big deal, like Chris said, for this, or case in point. God, the, I'll, the take, cap, I'll, the take the momentum. I'll take the momentum one step further. Okay. And when you look at Georgia Tech and Duke, uh, what bookends the beginning and the end of the season, mm-hmm. I think momentum does matter. And I think it, it does matter for Florida State to win their first game. I like uh, Georgia Tech, you know, FSU should handle them at home it it should happen right and then you close the season at duke and let's face it i i know i joke but this team isn't playing for an acc championship this year but it's still vitally important to have that win riding off into the off season for recruiting just for fan momentum just it 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 leaves everybody a little bit happier we know there's going to be some losses taken in the middle of the schedule but at least the start and the end should be wins for florida state and, and there's yeah, it all, it all, Virginia as well at the end of the season. So that, there's a mm-hmm. chance for two wins bookending both sides. So there's four wins right there. But I know we're getting no wins and losses, but there's four right I, there. See, I, I think Virginia is going to be fairly good. I, I don't know why I, I feel like I'm on an island with that thought, but I think Pitt and Virginia are two teams in the league that are going to be above the line of 500. Well, well, Virginia's going to be well coached. We know that with Brock and Me- Brocko Mendenhall, but they lose Bryce Perkins, who made that whole mm-hmm. offense go for them. That's a tough guy to replace. Like when you, same thing with like Louisville, when you lose not to the extent of Lamar Jackson, but when you have someone who makes so many plays for you within the construct of your offense or improvising, I think that's difficult. And they also lose Joe Reed, who was really really dynamic. So yeah, they'll be well coached. I have no question about that. I just I don't I view Pitt as a much bigger challenge for FSU than I do Virginia. I yeah, because Pitt, Pitt arguably after Clemson probably has the two best lines in the ACC. Right, right. That they match up well against FSU. That's why when we did our wins and loss a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a loss to Pitt because of that. But regardless, I mean, I think all the two games at the start and the two games at the end of the season are both very winnable. I think we all agree with that. Like you can easily account for four wins there, at least three, uh, which is you know step in the right direction. What's the toughest stretch for you, Chris, in your mind when you look at the schedule and the way it shakes out? Uh, October 10th at Notre Dame with UNC at home the next week and then travel to Louisville. It's between the two open dates for FSU, so they kind of get a relief at the beginning and at the end. But that, to me, is the toughest three-game window for the Seminoles. And before that stretch starts, too, I had my toughest three-game stretch 
but they're all in line here is Miami. And I know there's a bye week, but it's Miami and then at Notre Dame and then UNC. And then you go and ride into Louisville. And then you have Pitt at the end of that too, right, Chris? So that's five games. Yeah, and you have the open dates between Miami, Notre Dame, and between Louisville, Pitt. Okay. So, so yeah, that's that middle stretch of the schedule there I think kind of defines whether you have a uh, forgettable season, mediocre one, or or memorable one. So I think that that's kind of your swing there. Those five games really define like how much progress you're making under Mike Norvell. Let's see. I'm looking at the rest of the schedule, see what's interesting to me. Uh, one thing I know, Chris, when we spoke last time on the podcast, you mentioned that NC State can be a house of horrors. I didn't mention it at the time on the podcast. I didn't think about it, but as I was breaking down today, like if there's no fans in there, that game really doesn't really concern me anywhere near as much. Like the, the whole Finley Carter Stadium atmosphere with like fans being on top of you and allegedly throwing urine on you, like that doesn't exist as much anymore if there's not fans in the stands. Yeah, that's a good point. I just FSU tends to not play well there for whatever reason. I don't even know if it's because of the fans or if it's just something weird and wonky where just that has happened. But, you know, out of our last 10 trips there, I feel like at least four or five of them just haven't gone particularly well. What else do we want to do on the schedule before we get to wins and losses? Anything else stand out to it about you, Chris or Josh? How much – well, I want to ask you guys because personally, I don't care about the buy thing. I'm just happy that they're going to line them up and play. Pizza. And they mentioned four teams coming off a bye before playing FSU. One of them's Clemson. Look, if Clemson played on Saturday and then played FSU on Monday, they're still beating FSU. Like, I don't care if they have three weeks off or two days off. That's a loss. So, to me, it doesn't really matter. How – I guess to Brendan because Chris already weighed in, but, like, how much do you put into that? For Clemson specifically or the fact no, that – No, just, the, just four... the scheduling. That people – you know, I, I think overall, surprisingly, there's not a lot of gripes here, right? I mean, we know there's going to be a tough run – and then the Miami, Notre Dame, Carolina, Louisville run is it, but there is a bye week in there and a bye week to wrap it up. So there's not really a whole lot to gripe about, right? I, I agree. It's favorable. Again, you meant we've gone over the bookends. Like I think that's a big deal, especially for momentum. I am a believer in that. And that we knew what the schedule was going into this, that mm-hmm. the slate was going to have like five or six pretty challenging games. Uh, it just so happens that most of them are together. The one gripe I would say, Josh, is that that you have four teams that you're facing all four good teams as well. They're all won eight or more games last year are all expected to be bowl caliber teams or potentially top 10 teams this year that you're facing that have a bye week before you play them. Now you have a bye yeah. week before you play Notre Dame. So that, that one kind of evens out a little bit, but still no other team in the conference has that disadvantage. We are facing teams coming off of bye weeks where you have time to plan yeah. to prepare. So yeah, that, that's something I would factor in and saying I'm not a huge fan of that for Florida state. The gripe is more that FSU has four while someone like Wake has none and there's a lot of teams with just one and FSU is the only one with four. I think the gripe is more to disparity in numbers. It's not so much that, like, I agree with you. you got to line up and play regardless, and obviously it's not great. But sometimes teams come off buys and kind of fall flat, too. It's not like it's an automatic thing where you're better after a buy. But in general, the fact that FSU, you know, faces two of those opponents, it kind of splits in a half, but it's still the disparity in the league is where mm-hmm. the gripe really was. And, you know, FSU got a tougher slate than they originally had when the ACC redid these schedules, and then you get the four open weeks. It just feels like it's piling up a little bit on FSU. I think you guys both know that I'm not one to say, oh, woe is FSU, everything's against them. But, uh, like, come on, throw a bone their direction once in a while, and neither of those situations are throwing a bone in the direction of FSU. 
two things to that. One with the point that Chris just made, FSU schedule did get tougher. I know I've seen in some publications that they said oh, it wasn't as not as bad as it initially seemed. But if you look at like what the S&P Plus has for preseason projections, obviously it's not perfect, but it's a, a realistic projection. Typically FSU schedule, even without playing Florida, is tougher. And it's especially tougher in conference, which is the thing you had control over if you're the ACC. So uh, <clears throat> it did get tougher for Florida State. The other thing I would say about the the bye game, the bye week games, one thing to remember, people, is like these games are there's so many bye weeks set up in in the schedule for all the teams because we don't know the variables of playing football amid a pandemic, right? So mm-hmm. they may not end up being the bye weeks that you think they are. Like a team may have to end up playing a week before, have a game moved around and stuff. So it looks bad on paper right now. It's not ideal when the other teams like Wake doesn't have that built-in advantage already. Uh, but, you know, that may change. The schedule may change with the way the bye weeks are set up because of the flexibility that you've built into the schedule for these teams to make up ground if there is a an outbreak among a team and you have to take a week off. All right, so... Before we move forward, I do want to uh, to be thoughtful here and ask my my co-host Josh Newberg how his game of pickleball was this morning. Uh, I dominated like normal. Are you a pickleball player now too? Like you were a soccer player? I, I, I could be. Me and my buddy just started playing um, in the last three or four weeks, and I have found that I am very good. Um, Is I your noticed- buddy ninety years old? No, my buddy is, he's older than me. He's probably about 44. And my buddy, my <laughs> buddy. He's one of my only buddies. And um, we got into a little doubles match today with some old people and we beat them. And I'm thinking, because this was the first time that we actually played somebody else. Usually we're the only ones out there. We get out there about 7 a.m. Um, but yeah, so bottom line, I think I'm going to start hustling pickleball. Yes or no, Chris, is pickleball an old person sport? My in-laws play it, and they live in a retirement community, so the answer is yes. Let me in that retirement community. <laughs> he's going he's to hustle. I think it's fair to say that Josh is an old man now. He's uh, about to turn 50 this, this upcoming week. No. 38. Uh, but close enough. Uh, Feel old. You, you look old, too. You look a little more worn Thank down you. than you did a few years ago. But you know what I was going to say? Uh, being old has its advantages. It usually comes with being more responsible, Joshua. Oh, does it? Yeah, you do more responsible things. One of those is learning to be fiscally sound. Who could help me out with something like that? How about Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial? Daniel is a two-time FSU alum. Uh, poor poor guy graduated a year before the national championship, but he uh, he is a very uh, well-respected Financial advisor for Evershore Financial. You go ahead and look up the reviews on Evershore Financial. They've won many awards with the Orlando Sentinel in Central Florida. They have four locations across the state. And in these uncertain times, Josh, I think being responsible, uh, you know, even if it comes with playing it's time. pickleball, it's time it's to time. take the time out and get your finances in order. Make sure that you are preparing for the future in a way that's healthy. And Dan Garland of Evershore Financial can help me with all of my financial banking, whatever needs it is, because I'm I'm be racking it up now. Once once Chris lets me in that retirement community, watch out. All right, Brandon, 
Let me know all the details on how Dan Garwin can help me get my finances in order. Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for a no-obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321-304-4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA, SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated, 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. All right, let's get right into the segment everybody's been waiting for. Bottom line, I want to know from you guys, wins or losses, let's go down the schedule game by game, and um, I'm going to even keep a tally to see maybe who who has the most optimistic outlook and pessimistic outlook. So the season hopefully kicks off September 12th at home, hosting Georgia Tech. How do we feel on this one? Brendan, you first. Oh, Chris jumped in. Sorry, sorry. I, I got a little Chris, excited. There. Chris getting ahead of schedule is not surprising. Hey, real quick, just a glimpse behind the curtain here. Josh is so damn good at giving sound bites. Like I could tell when he's gearing up for something that we're going to turn into like extra content. He he gives these very thoughtful, fluid, like professional sound bites. But anytime we start going into the advertising portion, he sucks at it. He just loses his mind. And I can't understand for the life of me to disconnect and <laughs> how he just stutters all over himself in one area, then is so smooth in another. It's, it's every once remarkable. in a while it happens. All right. So we start with Georgia Tech on September 12th. Chris already has the W. What do you um, got here, Brendan? I, it's going to be a 500 point W. I got to top Chris somehow, right? Since he stole my yeah. stole my thunder. Right. No, so you still only get one win for that. So we all start off the season one and zero. Oh. I agree with you guys. Uh, September 19th, that home game against Samford, we're all taking the dub there, right? Yes. Yeah, it's not a way okay. Taggart coach team. That we've learned on the message board that if they're poorly coached and they don't play well in that game, we just fire Mike Norbell immediately afterwards, right? Isn't <laughs> yeah. isn't that what was established in the last couple of days? I mean, is that uh, where things are going? Uh, Chris wrote Apparently. a whole co- Chris wrote a whole column last year about uh, learning from the the signs of of history when mm-hmm. Willie Taggart yeah, stumbled against uh, ULM, almost lost that one, and then almost lost the Sanford game the year before, and connected the dots. It's become the litmus test. <laughs> I think it's fair. Yeah, it is. If, if you can't beat Sanford, get out. Just <laughs> yeah. leave. The door's there. <laughs> there should be a clause. There should be a clause in the contract. If you lose to Sanford, that's an automatic violation of contract. It's terminated. We're done. Yeah. Oh no, so, not this shit again. <laughs> <laughs> on, all right, fellas. On September 26th, the circus hits the road uh, for Coral Gables. Well, not Coral Gables, but Miami. Um, to play at their Renaissance Center. Hollywood? And Hollywood, what Florida? do you guys think the outcome of this one is going to be? 
Miami Gardens is where it is. Um, I think it's going to be a loss, but I feel much better about the placement of this game and the fact that you're uh, – it doesn't matter. I know you're not writing this down, but the fact that you're getting probably two wins ahead of it and get a little goodwill built up, I feel more of a, a swing game, but I'll, I'll go with loss right now. I'm going win. I don't know why. I just I feel like – I am. You're right. I'm doing it. I'm doing it here. Don't worry. I'm going to pick plenty, plenty of losses down the road. I'm going win here. I just don't think Manning's a great coach. He's if not. FSU can figure out a way to protect the pass or work the damn against Miami, they can beat Miami. Yeah. Now that's a huge if. And Greg Rousseau may have seven sacks on that day and dance on the dead body of a quarterback. But if they can figure out a way to protect the passer, they can play with Miami. I don't think Miami is a great team personally. Plus, I believe Miami's opening to the year isn't particularly soft. So. Right. They're not walking into that game feeling great after playing, you know, the Bethunes and those types of the world. Mm-hmm. All right. October 3rd, uh, Florida State has a bye week. I think they handle that. October Win. 10 at Notre Dame. Loss. That's that's going to be a big old L. Factor in FSU has a bye week. You know, I was, so doing, a little, Dame. I was doing a little <laughs> bit of research on Notre Dame. They returned a ton of talent up front on the offensive line they have Ian Book back for like his 20th season but they lose almost all their skill players they lose a fairly high amount of of impact players on defense as well so it may not be as daunting as initially thought but still Notre Dame's just a more established program right now loss Chris Notre Dame I already said loss oh loss okay (laughs) I got a loss too so we all take L's there North Carolina at home. Does anybody have FSU winning this game? I'm going lost because I can't go full homer. Yeah. But I do think the reality is they split Miami-North Carolina games. I think they win one of those and they lose one of those for sure. Mm. I think this is going to be a a uh, homecoming of sorts for, for Sam Howell, a former homecoming. And I think that North Carolina is going to just go crazy all over FSU. Um, I, didn't give you, I, I didn't give you mine yet. Oh, I said, does anybody think they're going to win? Oh, I don't know. I I did a little bit more research on UNC. Like, I, I'll go Just lost. now? You Googled them? No, like a few days ago. <laughs> like I'll go lost. I'll go lost. Matt Brown coaches in Chapel Hill? What? <laughs> There's no way that's going to work out for them. <laughs> Fast forward a year later. Yeah, I, if you want to put a W down here, let me know. I'll, I'll no, write it. no, but I feel okay. better about that one too than I did a week ago. I feel better in yeah. general. I bet Mac Brown kicks ass at pickleball. Not my ass. <laughs> I'll put I'll put our next paychecks on it. Me and Mac put our paychecks right there on the court. Oh, that's fine. I thought he was putting our paychecks on it at first. <laughs> you you should do it at ACC kickoff this year. Oh wait. <laughs> yeah, virtually. All right, Florida State, after taking the L at home to North Carolina, travels to Louisville. We feel pretty good there. I feel good there. Win. Yeah, I'm going win. Yeah, Louisville's a well-coached team, and they seem to have an identity, which is important. But I I think Florida State has superior talent. Even last year, last couple years, poorly coached FSU teams have still beaten Louisville. And hasn't Mike Nordvell already proven that he just takes what he wants from Louisville? (laughs) Yeah, Shubba Purdy comes out and throws for 500 yards, five touchdowns, and, and Scott Satterfield cries a little bit. Jared Jackson with the game-winning sack, fumble. Oh, my goodness. All right, uh, let's um, go. Who's the defensive end? Never mind. No, <laughs> I like it. October 31st, another open date, another win or whatever he got for FSU there. But then November 7th, 
Uh, they host Pitt at home. This is kind of a sneak, uh, a sneaky game right here. Yeah, uh, this is a trap game to me. I had FSU losing to Pitt on this one initially. Um, I'll stick with it just the way it kind of shakes out. I think Pitt's tough. I think it's a bad matchup for Florida State. Yeah, I'm going lost too. But the thing with Pitt is they are the kings of inconsistency in recent years. They One week they look like they can beat anybody, and it doesn't matter where they're playing. And next week they look like they shouldn't be on a football field. They have to get over that as a team this year. They have a good O-line, a good D-line. They have a quarterback who – people would think will be good in Kenny Pickett. Um, I feel like this is kind of their chance to break out. If it was an Atlantic Coastal year, I think they had a real shot of competing for the Coastal. Obviously, that's thrown out the window with one division. I think FSC loses. I, I really like Pitt's O-line and their D-line. I know I picked FSC to beat Miami, and Miami's probably got arguably as good, if not better, pass rush than Pitt. But I think Pitt's D-line as a whole is pretty damn good. I think their D-line's up there with FSU and Clemson since the end of the league. So I'm going to stick with going with an L. Okay. Uh, I think Florida State wins this one. Pitt's a wildly inconsistent team. I think they're going to come in November 7th, middle of the season, a little banged up. FSU coming off the bye, and the Knolls win this one at home. After that game, they turn around and they head out on the road again. And they'll face NC State on November 14th. Uh, if NC State fans aren't there to throw urine allegedly on Florida State fans, I'll, uh, I'll go with the win for Florida State. It's to play State football when like, people are throwing pee on you. It's not easy. It's I think they throw it at the, the band more than the people, but um, – or the players. Uh, NC State, I don't think it's a particularly impressive team, and they may be a little beat up by that point in the year. I'm, I'm going to go with a win. I just – uh, FSU tends to not play well, or at least has had that issue in past years, but I'm going to go win. Same here. I'm going to win on the road at NC State. Um, November 21st, Florida State plays Clemson at home. Um, you know, if it wasn't for that darn scheduling with Clemson getting a bye before facing FSU, I'd probably take FSU here. But with that, you know, I'm just going to give the edge to Clemson in this one. Yeah, I'm going Clemson. Good talk. I'm going to go Florida State because I don't think Trevor oh Lawrence is going to be playing at that point. I think Florida State to do what? To win. I, Florida I State's going to win. Good hey, Lord, does somebody want to over there? Yeah, Ooh. does somebody also who's going to be the one to tell Brendan that if Trevor Lawrence doesn't start, it's another number one five star quarterback coming in behind him? Travis Etienne's not going to play either. They're both going to look around, and be like, "What the hell are we doing here at this point in the season?" I do like that logic because if you look at it, November 21st. Yep, late in the year. You kinda... I like Brendan doing this because not only is there a chance that Trevor Lawrence isn't playing, there's also a chance that this game never just gets played, period, due to the shutdown. So Brendan gets to be the crowd favorite here in, in early August and never has to actually face the music for FSU and Clemson playing on November 21st. Wise choice, Brendan. Mm-hmm. Wise choice. All right. So Brendan takes the W. I don't, I don't, this might, this might not age well, but we'll see. All right. Moving on to November 28th, FSU hosts Virginia. Um, this is a, a, a different Virginia team. They lose their start. What was the quarterback's name last year? Bryce Perkins. Perkins, right. They lose Bryce Perkins. Um, he was kind of the motor behind that team. You take him away from there. It's kind of an average football program. Um, he made a lot of things happen. How do we feel about Virginia at home? Win for Florida State. I'm going with win, too. I think Virginia will have figured some things out by that point with regards to replacing Perkins. 
And mm-hmm. I actually think their roster as a whole is better this year than it was last year. But the guys they leaned on so heavily last year are gone, as Sinone brought up. So I'll go FSU. I think FSU really should have beat them last year. They outplayed them for a vast majority of that game last year. But last year is last year. They had Leonard Warner playing on an island 10 yards off the ball. Oh, God. Sinone, you're an asshole. I just want to bring up something, though. As the year goes on, I'm getting more bullish on Florida State because I think competent coaching is going to start yielding some positive results. And I like this team's depth on defense as well. So Yeah, but you – you bring back things that will make people drink. I love just, I need drink I need drinking partners. What well, I was gonna say, just because you love drinking doesn't mean we have I can't to be doing drinking. it all by myself. <laughs> What's that called? A problem. <laughs> all I right. Like, I don't like labels, Chris. So we all got winning we all got FSU winning against Virginia at home and then December fifth. I'm going to just say this is gonna wrap up the season because I don't think FSU is playing on December twelfth or the nineteenth. So the season wraps up on December 5th at Duke. Um, we all got to win here. Yeah. Win. So let's total it up. Seven and four, I think, is what I settled on. Was I supposed to be keeping score? No, I got you, Brendan. One, two, three, four. You had four losses, Brendan. I did. That Clemson game's kind of the wild card there. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> But in all all seriousness, as my win-loss record, like the Miami and the UNC game and the Pittsburgh, like those three, like I know I have losses for FSU in all three, but like those all feel like those are 60-40 games. So you probably win one of them. So I'm fine with taking the Clemson one in the overall win-loss record. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel good about FSU winning at Notre Dame. And obviously I don't feel good about them beating Clemson. And then I think there's about four games on their schedule that they can easily split. But they can also go 0-4 or 4-0 in those games just as easily if some things get figured out and things fall in place. Josh is using his calculating. That, that would be at best 9-2, and two, at worst 5-6 and six is how that kind of swings it. So what do we so feel? I'm, I'm like, falling smack down in the middle. I like to talk about a season in terms of what's expected, what would be con- – considered a, gr- a good season and what would be considered a great season I think a and good what would be considered is, a disappointment at, at I, the think, same time. I think a good season is seven and four eight and three I think a bad season is sub 500 and I think a great season is nine and two or better I think the bigger thing though is the long game which is does FSU look like they're improving does it look like they're turning young talent mm-hmm. into better talent does it look like they know what the hell they're doing, what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to accomplish play to play, week to week, game to game, overall in the season? Is it building to something? And basically, can this coaching staff show that they know what they're doing? Do they have the coaching chops? Can they develop players? Because those are all things they're going to have to sell in recruiting. And you get a little momentum. You show that you're confident, capable, that you can probably bring, bring FSU back on the upswing. That's what you can sell. If you exceed that, then you're going to be able to sell to a higher market. But FSU right now, more than anything, needs to show sta- stabilization and improvement and the ability to be good game over game, year over year. I think yeah. six wins gives you something to sell, like Chris said. I think that opens up options for you on the recruiting trail and sense like you can pitch progress. And that there are five, to me, five games that you should win – not easily, but you know, given where FSU is, relatively easily right now. Georgia Tech, 
Sanford to start the year, and then three out of the final four games, the NC State game, Virginia, and then Duke. I think if you get those five and then you win one of the ones in between there and you go six and five and you're above 500, like Chris said, that's a good season. Mm. I do want to if you win, dude, if you win six games and then you win three out of your last I, four and cloud in your last two, you don't think people are happy? You don't think FSU can sell well, that? As a no, player? I would consider that. I would consider a six-win season meeting expectations. I would consider a seven-win season a good season. I would consider an eight-win season a great season. But just in the context of what we've seen recently, isn't meeting expectations, like, isn't, isn't that progress? I think if I'm looking at this schedule and I'm I'm thinking six games is my expectation. And that's fine. I guess I'm, I'm, maybe we're just saying the same thing, looking at it differently. We I are, think I, six games is what I would expect. A seven-win season would be a good season. I don't think a six-win season is going to catapult FSU into like a top 15 recruiting class. I think they're sitting right where they're sitting at now with a six-win season, you know, right around that 20 mark, maybe 18 but I don't think a six-win season is moving the needle for recruit. So I would say that that's just kind of like an expectation. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe we're saying the same thing and just looking at it a little differently. I think but I think win- seven wins, you know, you sneak a win against maybe a Miami or North Carolina and you can get that seventh win, then maybe you do have a little bit of juice on the trail. What about six wins in that – one win in the swing games is against Miami. What would that do for you? So you start off three and zero, and you end. Winning it's always good four. to beat your rivals. Yeah, and if you're three and zero a month into the season, actually five weeks into the season, because you get that bye week, that's a lot you can push out there and kind of kick things off. And even when you have the up and downs, if you're still showing progress after that, you know, say you start three and zero and you finish seven and four, that means you go four and four down the stretch. Yeah. You know, I I think that gives you something to sell. The messaging can change and it gives you something to push that you haven't had because, well, everything's been wiped out. And look you know, at people us. Are, a lot of people are taking a wait and see attitude with Florida State. So positive. Look at us. Look so at us, positive guys. here. Well, I mean, hey, let's just let's just let's go all the way. Right. FSU's three and oh. They're heading to South Bend, Indiana with ESPN game day there. Oh, can you feel it? Let's do it! I feel like game day is going to be in a bubble. <laughs> like just, yeah, I think it should be. That'd be great. They'll, I'm not traveling have, to that game. The game day bubble. You, it rolls they'll into your town. Zoom. Yeah, they'll have a Zoom background in the stadium where they're supposedly at that week. There's a 0% chance that I go to that game. I'm not flying. All right, cool. Thanks, buddy. I'll make sure I cover it first. We have a real Tom Loy will cover it for us. We should sit beside each other so after the second play of the game, we can just look at each other and go, This shit ain't gonna go well. <laughs> uh, me- memories. <laughs> the ball bounces off Trey McKitty's chest for a touchdown. Uh, oh, throws a hundred mile an hour fastball into the tight end three yards away from him. Good time. Notre Dame runs for two How did the ball get down the, the middle? Was it a penalty or did FSU like fair catch it out the two yard line? <laughs> like what happened? I can't remember. That sounds about right. Probably both, Josh. They probably fair caught it, got and a penalty, got moving it. back to one yard, and then yeah. I, I once wrote that a program was a rudderless ship after that game. I, yeah. I got a few phone calls after that one. That was fun. Now, wasn't that game coming off of a, a bye week? Didn't mm, FSU have the bye? They just or? lost to NC State. James Blackman had a good game. I don't remember if there was a bye. Uh, DeAndre Francois. Uh, dude, there was the whole the cluster going into that is like no one knew who the starting quarterback was going to be, including the players leading up to that game until like Friday or so. It was 
it was a mess and encapsulated. It was par for the course. Years. Okay, so we have, I want to move this along as much as I'm enjoying this right now. We have coming up today, football, football stuff. We have a press conference virtually with Mike Norvell, Adam Fowler, Kenny Dillingham, John Papuchis, as well as a couple of players, Tamori and Terry, Marvin Wilson, and Jay Sean Corbin. Right, Chris? Anyone else? That is correct, sir. So we have all those coming up here at noon. Uh, probably as like by the time this podcast is getting posted, they'll actually be coaches talking, and this will be uh, irrelevant. There'll be some kind of details that that'll force us to do a new podcast. So we have that coming up. We'll have coverage on Knowles twenty four seven throughout the day in the next couple of days. Uh, I will be. Uh, be going out to the beach the next few days because I don't think we're going to actually have access to football. So I'll be working remotely while getting uh, my tan on, but camp starts on Friday. Are we excited? Yep. Glad there's yep. actually real football being done. I mean, we'll uh, see how guys, well it goes. Yeah. You guys are letting me in on this um, conference call today. Do you think it's, can I ask Mike Norvell to just run down the schedule and give me his wins and losses? Wins and losses and ask him. Coach, real quick, can you run down the schedule and give me your quick wins and losses? Coach, Brendan Sinone has you (laughs) beating Clemson. What are your thoughts on that? Sure, be enlightening, enlightening uh, Q&A session there, Josh. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. We need to hustle here, but we do have some recruiting scoop to get to on the other side. And uh, yeah, let's, let's do that real quick. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the bench wrapping things up as soon as possible because, again, time is of the essence. There is recruiting news, though. Uh, The big scoop I want to get to, Chris put a really nice VIP piece together on the website the other day. It was a recruiting scoop on a few of FSU's high-priority targets. Right now, guys, you can sign up at Knowles 24-7 for what is it, basically 50, 50% off for the entire year as part of our 10-year anniversary, uh, 24 Correct. It's a good deal. That's all I'm going to say. You know, we got got good deals on the, the website right now. So, Chris, give the people uh, a little tease of, of what, if they do sign up for Knowles 24-7, the kind of information and intel they can they can get. Well, I discussed South Georgia five-star offensive tackle Marius Mims. Everybody knows he's down at Alabama, Auburn, Florida State, Georgia, and Tennessee. He kicked his decision from here in the near future back to October when his birthday is, which is actually a good thing if somehow things do open up and he's able to take official visits. There's a possibility of as you can get him in for an official. They're also making some efforts to get him in for just a visit on his own. We'll see if that actually happens. But mainly what I got at is, well, I would consider FSU a long shot, probably fourth or fifth among those five schools right now. I still think the top is Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, and then probably Tennessee. 
Um, he loves Alex Atkins. Kenny Dillingham has been a good wingman in recruiting him as well. And the thing is, Mims believes FSU is a place where he could play most immediately. And that's appealing to him. He has been there multiple times. He has an idea of it. He has a great relationship with the staff. So while they're fighting a battle that they're probably going to lose in the end, there are reasons for FSU to hold out some hope and keep putting effort forth there because he is a guy that would immediately be inserted on the field for them in the coming future. I spoke about Tyrion Arnold, that basically he's FSU's primary defensive back target going forward. He is their main safety target. He's in no rush. He told me recently, probably a top 10 in the next month. You know, FSU's definitely going to be one of those schools in there, I expect. Arnold likes FSU a great deal. Most people think Alabama's probably the leader right there. I don't really know that Arnold has a leader. You know, I talked to him a good bit. He likes a lot of schools. I know Georgia, Alabama, FSU are all three schools. I've made a big mark with him. Florida's another one I know he certainly likes. Sean Bray Jackson caught up with the talented defensive lineman. Had two main questions for him. One, what position does he think he, he plays at the next level with regards to how he's being recruited? And two, could you decide sooner? With regards to question one, he kind of views it as he's a defensive end right now, a strong side type who probably will grow into being a defensive tackle, especially in systems like FSU where he would be a defensive tackle. Now, I know Alabama, who I would say is the number two, number one contender along with FSU there, um, they like him as a DN, a big body DN, but they're willing to have a bigger body DN than most. I think FSU views him as a guy who could play DN and eventually grow into being a D tackle. He, as far as deciding earlier, he had said mid-season or so recently, uh, about a month ago, I think he told our Auburn site that, if I recall correctly. He told me it would probably actually be sooner. He's kind of getting that feeling he might need to do it, especially if the dead period does get moved back from the end of August into the end of September, which we've heard is a possibility. And I believe some people said yesterday they expect that to happen. Rod Orr, talented offensive lineman, ranked a four-star by us, a three-star by the composite. He put out a top five. I mentioned that that was coming. That did come pretty much immediately after the story. FSU made the top five. Mizzou, Oregon, Old Miss, and Tennessee were the other ones. He has a cousin on Tennessee's roster. Old Miss has been around a long time. He's visited there. Main thing hurting FSU there is the fact he has not visited. He uh, he is hoping, or I'm sorry, if Auburn does offer him, they'd be pretty tough to beat. He's an Auburn fan at heart. Ruquan Buckley, another offensive line target, told me that top 10 is probably coming soon. FSU is almost a guarantee to make that. Nebraska is another one that I expect to be in that. I believe Michigan State was another one. Those are some of the schools that are definitely at the top with him. And then we talked a little bit about the wide receiver board. Malik McLean's a guy that FSU continues to keep up with. They've maintained contact consistently with him for several months now. I think after Destin Payson, who we expect to commit, I would say McLean's probably the next guy up after Deontay Thornton, who's a longer shot. McLean's a little bit more attainable, Alabama kid playing at IMG. And I also mentioned that J.J. Henry from Texas is a kid that they like. They maintain contact with and around the time of this story. I believe Steve Wiltfong national for us put out a story about the fact that JJ Henry is fairly open and no rush. And FSU is certainly one of the schools that he's very involved with. Josh didn't get my text message to go ahead and start talking after Chris finished. Oh. <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to add to Chris's uh, scoop and intel? Yeah, just the fact that um, four-star wide receiver Dante Thornton, I'm um, talking about just to add on to the wide receivers, he dropped a top six yesterday that included Florida State along with the Knowles. He had Oregon, Notre Dame, USC, Arizona State, and Virginia. Um, 
No rush to make his decision. He says it's going to happen January 2nd at the All-American Bowl, as long as that's still happening. Um, He's got some size. I know FSU is kind of trying to finish with some size. Um, Dante Thornton, who's out of Baltimore, Maryland, goes 6'4 and a half, 185 pounds. He's ranked as the sixth best wide receiver in the country and 51st overall. So big time prospect here, including FSU in his top six. Has not visited, but I do know that he's in regular contact with Ron Dugans and FSU OC Kenny Dillingham. Let's see, on our recruiting board here. I have. Oh, Did we talk about Miss Linsky basically no. being crystal ball to – to Texas. Well, he, commi- he he committed to Texas. Did he? Morning. Oh, yeah, I got he- the crystal ball right. <clears throat> well, I was told last week that it was going to be Texas or Michigan State. One Chris Neat kept Texas. telling me that I need to remember Iowa as well. Um, well, oh, Josh, my buddy. No, we so don't have time. He kind of led me down the path, Brendan. We don't have time for this bullshit. Iowa Iowa is a longtime contender because of the strength and conditioning coach who got canned because of the recent issues there. As everybody I think knows on this podcast, Ms. Linsky is the son of a strength and conditioning coach. So there is that. Mm-hmm. With Texas, I believe Texas O-line coach is Herb Hand, correct? That's their current one. Yes. The only one who could ever reach me was a son of a strength and conditioning coach. Herb Hand is good friends with Ms. Linsky's father. Now, that's not the only reason he chose Texas, but it played a big role. There's a family relationship. He's comfortable with him. He knows him well. He liked the program and everything about it, too. Iowa was a longtime contender before those visits happened and before their SNC got canned. And that kind of trended wait, toward Michigan State. Way too much time Texas. here. Time's of the essence. Way right, too much time. Out of good. Did we talk about Katravian Hargrove? Josh, or Zach caught up with him? Did you mention that, Chris? Uh, Zach caught up with him. No major changes um, since his decommitment. It's been FSU, Penn State, and South Carolina. Uh, we caught up with him a little bit. You can read that on Knowles 24-7, but it's still the primary teams in his recruitment. And he has no... He has no timetable to make that final decision. Last thing, let's uh, let's give a round of applause to FSU's graphics team. They handed out the official offers, and they looked really no embarrassments, no no viral tweets, no nothing. Hey, no the the ones they actually sent in person though were really sharp. Uh, yeah, they were great. I thought. Yeah, yeah, I thought the online version was good, but the in person version, like Joshua Burrell demonstrated, was mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, really, and that, really that nice hits home. Yeah. It's the little things. It's not a huge deal at the end of the day, but you're checking the – Chris, you, you, we got through a whole podcast. You're checking the boxes with doing the little things but correctly, which when matters. You, when, you got, got, when you got guys like Kay Camp and Adam Van Clay who they have an interest in doing that, they want to do that, they want to do it at a high level, it shows in the work they're doing. And Kyle mm-hmm. and that, that, well that's yeah. yeah, Kyle Pulik. Or I yeah. apologize no, if I mispronounced that last name. Um yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just, it's refreshing because it was such an eyesore for a couple of years there, and it's so drastically improved over the last 12 months and especially over the last eight months. Hey, this is a shocker. I'm getting text messages from Wayne McGahee right now. He's not thrilled with the way the schedule worked out for Florida State. Are you surprised? No, no. All right. Love you, Wayne. For Chris Nee and Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. A reminder, please throw us some five-star, some pity five-star reviews, if you will. Uh, it does help with the popularity of the show. I also want to thank Dan Garland for, uh, for, for sponsoring us this month as well. We appreciate his support. Please go ahead and support him. We'll include a link on how to do that and get your finances in order uh, in the podcast here. So stay tuned for Knowles 24-7 updates coming up on the FSU press conference with Mike Norvell and other coaches and players. Uh, We'll talk to you guys. Who knows? Who knows? Who really knows? Pickleball!
May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus.